Hey there, it's Fashti Sarah. Welcome back to Post Blog. If this is your first time listening, go ahead and hit the subscribe button, like button, follow button, share button. All the buttons to stay connected with the Post Blog podcast. And for those of you who this is not your first time, welcome back. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to Post Blog and welcome back to another episode of season three. So we are quite the ways into season three. And honestly, I have a lot of things that I want to do with this season, but um, I've ran into a lot of roadblocks. But that's not going to stop me. If you know me, you know my personality, you know that I'm not a quitter and I will fight to get things done. So there's that. So today's episode will actually be a combination of three blogs that I've written. And uh, while I did do a marriage recap with Jared as my guest, and if you're new to the podcast, Jared is my husband. I did do a recap a couple of weeks back on, you know, our one year and what we've learned and all that. And we just honestly, it was just an honest conversation and around our kitchen table and we just talked and had fun with it. But this specific episode, I wanted to to hone in on the three blogs that I wrote in reference to what I've learned in my first year of marriage. So the three blogs are Marriage Neglect, Mouth Wars, and The Bedroom. And I just want to dive in a little bit more into those blogs, especially for those of you who haven't read it, because I have heard, and I I appreciate the honesty here, to be honest. (laughs) I appreciate those of you who have been quite honest with me, letting me know, Vashti, I don't read your blogs. I listen to your podcast. Um, So I look forward to your podcast because I like the topics that you write about, but I just don't want to read about it. And I get it. I understand. And that's one of the reasons why I came up with the idea of post blog is because of one of my brothers who wants to support me, but they don't like to read. So um, post blog is after I write, I talk about it. All righty. Enough of the rambling. Let's get into what we're going to talk about today. All things marriage, but particularly what I learned in my first year of marriage. My first year of marriage, I learned to not neglect myself, not neglect my relationship with Christ, and not to neglect my husband. So there's three different things in that marriage neglect. Don't neglect God. Don't neglect yourself. Don't neglect your husband. And it all boils down to not neglecting God, because if you neglect If you neglect God, all the other areas will suffer. So for those of you who are newly married or you're going to get married soon or you want to get married someday, my biggest advice would be don't get infatuated by your spouse, which that's hard to do, especially if they're drop dead gorgeous. Like I honestly feel like my husband is the hottest thing on this planet. He's so attractive to me and it's not just his physique, but also his heart is extremely attractive. He's generous, he's kind, he's thoughtful and all the things in the world. I could go on and on and on and list it all for you. But because of my love for him and because of my deep desire for him, I got so infatuated by him that my life just revolved around him. And I just wanted to spend all my time with him and I wanted to just be with him all the time. And I realized, crap, Vashti, you've neglected your one-on-one relationship with Christ, your first love. So there's this quote by 
G. Michael Hopf that says hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men and weak men create hard times. And I learned that in my first year of marriage because I was in a good time of my life and being in the good time of my life, I became weak and by becoming weak, it developed a hard time in my spiritual walk with Christ. The author G. Michael Hoff, he's actually a post-apocalyptic novel and he's essentially saying, you know, life is cyclical. It's, it's, it's a cycle. Hard times create strong men because whenever we go through something, we typically develop strength. And whenever we develop strength, good times come along because we grow, we understand, we develop, we acculturate. And after good times, weak men develop because we get so complacent in life. We we become so much in the groove of life and enjoying things that we become weak. And when we become weak, hard times become hard times come about. Weak men are typically lazy. And when we're lazy, things become pretty hard. So that was the cycle of my first year of marriage internally, not outwardly. Outwardly, life was great. But internally, when it comes to my relationship with Christ, it was rocky and shaky. It was struggling because I placed my husband on a pedestal. And I failed to realize that my covenant or the covenant that I made on April 29th on our wedding day was with God, Jared and myself. It was a three way thing. And it it is a representation of the Trinity of Christ. And I won't get into that today. But biggest advice, big, big, big advice. Do not neglect God in the good times. And that's easier said than done because in the good times we're so captivated by all that's going on. That's good that we fail to realize this good that's happening was a result of a good father. We wouldn't get to this place in life had it not been for the faithfulness of Christ. But the crazy part is this is not something that is a normal for humans to do or, or, you know, taboo for Christians or who followers of Christ to do, or just humans in general. Oftentimes when life is good, we neglect what got us there. We neglect who got us there. And we see this in Deuteronomy 32, Moses, he exhorts a new generation of the Israelites to live as God's obedient people in the promised land and neglect not. Neglect what? Neglect not serving the Lord. Neglect not remembering who God is and who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you out of turmoil, who brought you out of the, the merrily clay, who brought you out of all that. Neglect not. Because it's easy whenever life is easy, when life is good, when we're in the good old times, to have that become our idol, have our work become our idol because work's going good, have marriage become our idol because marriage is doing well, have our finances become our idol because, you know, the money's rolling in. So why depend on God? As beautiful as marriage is, it can only remain beautiful and sweet if we allow the one that designed it to remain at the center. So for newly married couples, for those of you who want to get married someday, or for those of you who are in marriage, deep in marriage, you're 12 years, 13, 15, 20, 25, 30 years in, and you are, you're 
connecting with this specific point right here. Go back to your source. Fall in love with Jesus all over again. Neglect not the one who got you where you are. And it could be completely separate from marriage. It can be something outside of marriage or relationship. You've made a covenant when you gave your life to Christ. But because you're in the good old times, we forget who brought us there. We forget our source. We forget who who is our rock and who is our father. So that's my first point. Neglect not. Don't allow your life, which it probably will happen because we're humans and we're bound to fail. Don't let it be a cyclical lifestyle in terms of your relationship with Christ or maybe even with your spouse. Don't let it be a cycle where hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men and weak men create hard times. Don't let it be a cyclical thing. You can change the trajectory of your relationship with Christ, of your relationship with your spouse, even with your relationship with yourself. Don't forget who you are. Take the sabbatical with the Lord. Take your sabbatical with your spouse and take a sabbatical for yourself because I even know friends, they're so engulfed by their relationship with their spouse and you know, I'm speaking about me first, that we forget to, to invest in herself. We forget about me. And that's not being selfish. That's not being conceited. That's taking care of who you are. So marriage neglect. Don't fall for that trap. Don't neglect Christ. Don't neglect your spouse. And don't neglect you. Now, my second point that I want to get into today is... Mouth wars. And mouth wars is essentially your inability to submit and admit when you're wrong, your inability to acknowledge that you are speaking from a horrible place, and just fighting the urge to say things that you'll regret eventually or after it's said. For those of you who've been following along the whole post blog series or my blog post series, you probably have heard me mention several times I've emphasized over and over my struggle. I I won't say my inability because it's a choice, but it is a struggle for me to choose my words wisely. (laughs) Especially in the heat of the moment. In counseling, in premarital counseling, Jared and I learned to communicate in a way that helps each other and in a way that prevents a bigger argument. And Jared is very witty and I don't understand how he's so witty. It annoys me and annoys the crap out of me. Sorry for that Um Sorry for that word, but it annoys me how witty he is and how sharp he can be in a confrontation, argument, whatever it may be. I'm not that witty. I need to think about what I'm going to say and I need to process what's going on. I need to process my emotions, process how I feel. I can't just immediately tell you how I feel because I'm slower in terms of processing information, processing emotions and all that. And with that, I'm also very much towards the introverted side. And I might be chilled. I might be laid back. I might, you know, be all happy and go lucky. However, if you cross me, if you cross me in the right time, and if you cross me and force me into an argument, 
I will say things that are cutthroat. I will say things that will wound. And I will say things that might break apart our friendship or our relationship. But I'm learning. I'm human. And it is what it is. It is a battle. And I've gotten a lot better. And I'm not just saying that for me. My husband has told me, Vashti, you've gotten way better. But what I've learned in marriage is to train myself to tame my tongue. You know, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 29, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear it. There's also James who wrote in James chapter three, verse 10, for the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers. These things ought not to be so. And then Matthew wrote in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. So your words are powerful and there's plenty of other verses in the Bible that targets the gravity of choosing your words and speaking from a pure heart. So I know this and because I know this, I should walk in this, right? Naturally so, but I don't because I'm human and I struggle and it's one of the biggest fights of the flesh. The tongue needs to be tamed and mouth wars should not be entertained in your relationship, whether it be a marital relationship, a friendship relationship, or even a just a friendly thing that you have with your coworkers or your family, whatever it may be, mouth wars should never be entertained. Training your tongue from now before you enter marriage, because in marriage, things just get a lot more amplified. Train your tongue from now to build up others to speak only what fits the occasion and to give grace to those who hear it. One thing you can never take back are the words you say, even though you could say, oh, I take that back. You really can't take it back because the person already heard it. You already inflicted wounds. You, you already did damage with the words that you said. And while Jared and I have had maybe three major arguments in our marriage, a lot of the times we bicker from time to time. We'll banter back and forth with each other and we'll laugh it out. But there's three, I believe, specific confrontation that we've had where I've had to tame my tongue. I've, I literally had to tell him, Jared, I cannot speak right now because if I say what what's on my mind and what's on my heart, it's going to hurt both you and I. And we've had to meet in the middle because I like to just drag things out, wait it out. Maybe he'll forget about it, whatever it may be. But we had to meet in the middle. Give me an hour. Give me two hours. I tell him a set time. Give me this amount of time. Let me think about it. Let me process. Let me calm down. Let me talk to Jesus about this. And then we can hash things out. Reality of the matter is communicating is difficult because you're dealing with people and people process information differently. People receive information differently. People give information differently. And it all depends on the time of the day. Sometimes you can say something to someone and they might not get offended. But another day you might say the exact same thing and a wall of offense comes up. So communicating is extremely difficult but in communicating, we should choose our words carefully, especially in heated confrontation, especially when you're trying to resolve conflict. 
we should choose righteousness and holy speech. And the only way we can choose that is if we actively practice that. And in confrontation and in communicating, be okay with apologizing, admitting when you're wrong. And don't bring up things from the past. And that's one of the key things that the apostle mentions in Ephesians 4. He says, choose words that are fit, that fits the occasion. Don't bring up the past. Don't bring up things that don't need to be involved in this specific confrontation right now. Focus on what you're talking about and let it be as such that's building up, that's grace from your mouth, and that doesn't tear down the other person. Bottom line is when you're communicating with your spouse or with your family or whoever it may be, let it come from a pure place in your heart. And if you need time to just back it up a little bit, think through what you're going to say, process, you know, your emotions, communicate that. It's okay. Don't snap back in anger. Don't give in to that urge. Don't give in to that, that fleshly emotion because all you'll do is just ruin and amplify the conflict or the conversation even more. Be okay with communicating and saying, hey, I kind of need an hour to think through how I'm feeling. I really, I really can't talk about this right now. Just give me some time to think about it. I will resolve it. I will talk it through, but just give me some time. I can't do it right now. Otherwise, I will say something that I will regret. Be mature enough to stand up Be mature enough to communicate how you feel in a way that is graceful and in a way that is uplifting and honorable to Christ. Because at the end of the day, my friend, you're going to give an account of every single idle word that comes out of your mouth. So just think about it this way. Jesus comes tomorrow and he's like, hey, so you said this, this, this and this to so and so. Care to explain what's going on here? Your excuse cannot be, I mean, it can be, but just, you don't want your excuse to be, well, I was just in the moment. It was my emotions. You know what I think the Lord is going to say? You have a choice in how you respond and react to certain things. You know the right thing. You know the right way to respond. Why did you give in? So I'll leave it there at that. Don't choose the route of having a mouth war with your significant other, your spouse, your family member, whatever it may be, choose your words wisely. Practice taming your tongue. Now, the third thing I want to get into is the bedroom. First of all, your bedroom is a very sacred place. It's a very honorable place, or it should be an honorable place. In marriage, in our first year of marriage, what I learned a lot about our marriage bedroom is we laugh a lot there. We laugh until it hurts. We laugh until we cry. And we also cry a lot in our bedroom. We enjoy our bedroom. It's one of my favorite places to be in our house. It's my safe place. It's the place where I sleep. It's the place where I make love to my husband. It's the place where we relax. And it's the place where we also have very, very hard conversations. It's the place where I have very hard conversations with Jesus. So in our bedroom, one of the most romantic and intimate moments I had 
was not with just Jared alone. It was Jared, myself, and God. And that's when I realized that our bedroom was our Gethsemane. It was our version of the Garden of Gethsemane. So in Matthew 26, if you know anything about the death resurrection of Jesus Christ, you probably have heard the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is where Jesus was filled with anguish and dread about what was about to happen to him. He was in the garden weeping before the Lord. And he said, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may or will be done. So there's a lot of symbolism in the Garden of Gethsemane. Two things in particular I want to focus on is one, Gethsemane means oil press. It is said that the Garden of Gethsemane is where olives were pressed into oil. So we know this is significant because oil has, from the Old Testament and the New Testament, we've seen that oil is viewed as an, an atonement. And Jesus Christ is our atonement. He came as an atonement for us, for our sins. In the Synoptic Gospels, we can even read that the extreme pressure that Jesus went through is suffering. He even poured blood for us, literally bled from his pores. And it's just wild to think that right before Jesus's death on the cross, right before he endured so much pressure and pain and bleeding from his pores, he was in a place that symbolized what he was about to go through. The Garden of Gethsemane, oil press, where olives were pressed and they oozed out blood red droplets of oil. Wild. Crazy to think that that specific place symbolized what he was about to go through, but not just the, the gruesome part of it, but also the beauty that would come out of that atonement. So another thing I wanted to mention about the Garden of Gethsemane is that Jesus was under the olive tree. One of the accounts of olive tree or olive leaf is from the story of Noah and the ark in Genesis chapter eight. Noah released a dove after the flood and the dove returned back carrying an olive branch signifying or, or symbolizing God's promises being fulfilled, a symbol of peace to the world. So like I said, despite Jesus being in the garden of Gethsemane and his life was basically flashing before, before his eyes in terms of the, the, the gruesome death that he would endure oil press and that pressure. It also symbolized, Hey, peace in the world will come in the form of salvation. Peace in the world will come. My promises will be fulfilled filled in your life because of the atonement that I'm providing for you. So during Jesus's time in the garden of Gethsemane, he was the most vulnerable he possibly could be with his father. He was oiled pressed with grief, but in his grief, he found great peace. And that's what Jared and I found in our bedroom that in our safe place, in our bedroom, doors closed, we can join hands and pray to our Father. We can pray to our Father and say, Lord, this cup that you've given us, whatever it may be, help us through it. In our bedroom, we can cry ugly tears. We can laugh with joy. But in our bedroom is where we found tremendous peace. 
There are many times in the early part of our marriage where we've been praying for family members, praying for a miracle for certain individuals, grieving over those who are hurting. And then of recent, we've just been going through some crazy transitions that I'll probably share later on this year, but just praying before the Lord and crying out saying, God, help us. Lord, give us some type of direction. Father, please just give us your peace. Our bedroom has become our garden of Gethsemane, where great anguish we've poured out to the Lord, but also great peace we've received. I want to encourage you to create a battle room in your home and allow that to be your Gethsemane. Don't neglect Christ. Like I said, that, that was, that's the biggest point of this entire podcast. Don't neglect Christ whenever you're going through times of trouble and when you're, whenever you're going through times of great joy. But in your times of trouble, remember that Jesus laid the platform for us. He laid the foundation for us. And he said, hey, look, in that garden of Gethsemane, where you're oiled, pressed, where you're bleeding out your heart to Christ, where you're bleeding your heart out to your father, also understand that in that garden of Gethsemane, there's great peace. There's great liberation. There's great joy. When we give up our way for God's way, we're not battling alone anymore. Jesus showed us what obedience looks like. Obedience even to death on a cross. And what that obedience brings. Great freedom. It's the reason why we have we can have peace in the midst of a storm. It's the reason why we have second chances. It's the reason why we're able to spend eternity in paradise if we choose the road of salvation. Jesus's obedience took the posture of not personal will, but rather the will of God. So my challenge to you is in your grief, in your struggle, whatever you may be going through, whether you're praying for a family member, whether you're going through some crazy transition like Jared and I have been going through, whether it be you're just you're just tired and you're overwhelmed and you're just over it. Create a Gethsemane in your home where you can cry out before the Lord and say, God, this is what I'm going through. If it be your will, take this cup from me. But if it, if not, give me strength. Give me perspective, give me hope and help me to remember your faithfulness. Sometimes that's all that I pray for in my devotion. When I'm praying, sometimes that's all I say. Lord, help me to remember your faithfulness. Help me to remember the times where you showed up. Help me to remember the times where you have been faithful and good. Because sometimes life can be just so messy, ugly, overwhelming and stressful that we forget all that God has done for us. So my prayer has been simple. Lord, help me to remember. Help me to remember that you're good. Help me to remember the time that you healed me. Help me to remember the time that you showed up with the finances. Help me to remember the time that you saved that family member. Help me to remember in my garden of Gethsemane. So that's what I want to leave y'all. Do not neglect Christ, yourself, or your spouse. Fight the urge to engage in a mouth war and create a place that will be your garden of Gethsemane where you can be the most vulnerable with Christ and with your spouse. 
That's it for today, guys. Thank you for joining me on Post Blog. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button, like button, follow button, share button. All the buttons stay connected with the Post Blog podcast. Same time, same place next week. I love y'all. But remember, God loves you most. <laughs>